Chapter 16 Worldviews in Collision In terms of theoretical principle and eventual outworking, the unbeliever opposes the Christian faith with a whole, antithetical system of thought, not simply with piecemeal criticisms. His attack is aimed not merely at certain random points of Christian teaching, but at its foundation. The particular criticisms utilized by the unbeliever rest upon basic, key assumptions which unify and inform his thinking. It is this presuppositional root which the apologist must aim to eradicate if his defense of the faith is to be effective. Because the unbeliever has such an implicit system of thought directing his attack on the faith, the Christian can never be satisfied to defend the hope that is in him by merely stringing together isolated evidences which offer a slight probability of the Bible's veracity. Each particular item of evidence will be evaluated, as to both its truthfulness and degree of probability, by the unbeliever's tacit assumptions. His general world and life view will provide the context in which the evidential claim is understood and weighed. What one presupposes as to possibility will even determine how he rates probability. For this reason, the apologetic strategy we see illustrated in Scripture calls for argumentation at the presuppositional level. For instance, when Paul stood before Agrippa and offered his defense for the hope in him, Acts chapter 26, verse 2, verses 6 through 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he declared the public fact of Christ's resurrection, verse 26. However, one must note the presuppositional groundwork and context which Paul provided for this appeal to fact. The very first point Paul endeavored to make in his defense of the faith was a pre-observational, transcendental matter. What is possible? Verse 8. God was taken as the sovereign determiner of what can and cannot happen. Paul then proceeded to explain that the termination of hostility to the message of the resurrection requires submission to the Lordship of Christ, verses 9-15. through 15. One must understand who the genuine and ultimate authority is. Paul went on to explain that the message he declared called for a radical change of mind, repentance, turning from darkness to true light and from the domination of Satan to God, verses 18-20. through 20. The unbeliever must renounce his antagonistic reasoning and embrace a new system of thought. Thus, his presuppositional commitments must be altered. Finally, Paul placed his appeal to the fact within the context of Scripture's authority to pronounce and interpret what happens in history, verses 22 through 23 and 27. The ultimate ground of the Christian certainty and the authority backing up his argumentation must be the Word of God. Paul could go to the facts, then, only in terms of an undergirding philosophy of fact and in accordance with the foundational axioms of biblical epistemology. Consequently, the apologist needs to recognize that the debate between believer and unbeliever is fundamentally a dispute or clash between two complete worldviews, between ultimate commitments and assumptions which are contrary to each other. An unbeliever is not simply an unbeliever at separate points. His antagonism is rooted in an overall philosophy, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, which is according to the world's tradition. Thus, he is an enemy of God in his mind, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, James chapter 4, verse 4, and uses his mind to nullify or obviate God's word, Mark chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. 
because he cannot receive or know the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The unbeliever suppresses the truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And exalts his reasoning against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Two philosophies, or systems of thought, are in collision. One submits to the authority of God's word as a matter of presuppositional commitment, and one does not. Appeals to fact will be arbitrated in terms of the conflicting presuppositions held by the two philosophies. The debate between the two perspectives will thus eventually work down to the level of one's ultimate authority. Does this bring the argument to an end in the stalemate? Each person arbitrarily choosing a starting point to his own subjective liking? Not at all. Rather, this situation points up the great need for a presuppositional method of defending the faith. The presuppositionalist realizes that every argument chain must end in a self-authenticating starting point. Every worldview has its unquestioned and unquestionable assumptions, its primitive commitments. All religious debate will develop into a question of ultimate authority. In principle, the two options will stand in full, stark contrast to each other. At this point, only a presuppositional argument can resolve the tension. As discussed in recent studies in this series, the presuppositional procedure has been seen to involve two steps. Number one, an internal critique of the unbeliever's system, demonstrating that his outlook is a foolish destruction of knowledge. And number two, a humble yet bold presentation of the reason for the hope in us, communicated in terms of the believer's presuppositional commitment to God's true word. Such a procedure can resolve the tension between competing authorities and conflicting starting points because it asks which position provides the preconditions for observation, reason, and meaningful discourse. The apologetic discussion does not end in a stalemate because the Christian, by placing himself on the unbeliever's position, can show how it results in the destruction of intelligible experience and discursive thought. If the unbeliever were correct in his presuppositions, then nothing whatever could be understood or known. The philosophy of the unbeliever has been afflicted with vanity, Romans chapter 1 verse 21, so that his knowledge is, in terms of his own assumptions, falsely so-called. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 20 and he opposes himself by it 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 by pitting his foolish thinking in the name of wisdom against the wisdom of the gospel which he labels foolish the unbeliever must be unmasked of his pretensions 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 21 and shown that he has no apologetic for his viewpoint Romans chapter 1 verse 20 but is left with a vain darkened ignorant mind which needs renewal. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24. The Christian can then teach the unbeliever that all wisdom and knowledge must take Jesus Christ as its reference point. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3. The believer's thinking, just as the unbeliever's, is grounded in self-validating starting point. This ultimate truth must be an expression of God's mind. He alone speaks with unquestionable authority and self-attesting veracity. Thus, Jesus categorically claimed to be the truth. John chapter 14, verse 6. There is no standard higher than his divine person and word. Christ demonstrated that God and his word must be the self-authenticating indisputable starting point for all thought when he, 
unlike Adam, refused to put the Lord to a test. Matthew chapter 4 verse 7 Rendering implicit obedience to God's authoritative law. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 The Christian's starting point, it should then be observed, provides the precondition for intelligible experience and meaningful thought rather than destroying the epistemological enterprise. For it teaches that man was created to think God's thoughts after him, and thereby know the truth. We have briefly seen, then, that apologetics must eventually bring in presuppositional argumentation. The destruction of the unbeliever's philosophy at its epistemological base and the presentation of the only workable foundation for knowledge, God's self-attesting, authoritative revelation.